Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the Frio Big Footy Podcast. Bit of unusual territory for the boys this week with Fremantle experiencing their first loss of the season last week against a determined Richmond side. But we do have one of our uh, residents back who missed last week's game, but good to see you back, Seppo, and uh, nice to see you uh, back on board after a bit of a disappointing result last week. Yeah, you can blame that loss on me not turning up for the podcast. Looks like the team didn't turn up for the first quarter, which was... Uh... Quite unusual, obviously, in the spotlight, a first Friday night game for the year with, I think it was a record TV attendances as well, just behind the Anzac Day game in terms of uh, free-to-air viewers. So got a lot of uh, eyes watching us, and Richmond certainly got the big jump, and I haven't seen a better quarter of footy played by us or against us by a team so far. So kicking 8-1 straight is almost what Port did to Richmond in the uh, final last year and it was just a, a shock to sit there and I'm glad we guys fought back into it but it was just all over too soon and a lot of that's probably put, put down to that week we had you know Adelaide struggled against Carlton and you, you can sort of just see that the guys were a bit flat and it's a, a real shame we um, had our first loss at the hand of Richmond. Yeah I mean the end result being 15 goals 797 to 10 10 70 and you can just sort of tell in the first five minutes Seppo that the boys just didn't look switched on at all and and full credit to Richmond for taking advantage of it as well they came out and they you know I mean they sort of a bit like us in the derby I think everything sort of turned to gold in the first quarter and they didn't look like missing and full credit to them taking advantage of it and you know credit as you said credit to Fremantle for bouncing back a little bit and that's particularly in the second half unfortunately Michael Johnson having another horror uh, testimonial game didn't have a great one in his 100th and his 200th was no better either with getting a hamstring early, injury early, and it sort of threw us out a little bit, I think, to um, sort of get the side balanced. But Richmond took full advantage of it and just none of our players seemed to stand up. Even, you know, Fife played pretty well as usual, but some of our other boys struggled. And uh, I think it was sort of one of those games, Seppo, that Ross Lyon wouldn't be too concerned about as it would certainly make sure that the boys switch back on. I think the interesting thing was that Richmond was sort of playing that little bit of style like Hawthorne do with that short kicking game, and they just had the ability to finish off where Essendon tried to do it earlier in the season as well, but the problem is Essendon tend to go too wide where Richmond were always constantly moving forward and move, making the sort of right choices, where and it sort of threw us out a bit, and we struggled against the Hawks, so it's probably better to have this sort of game now than wait until the finals and then get exposed to it and struggle in that, in that sort of environment. Yeah, I suppose it was um, Richmond's kicking. They could do no wrong. Even their bad kicks were somehow finding targets and going through the middle of the goals. I just remember looking at some of them. The commentators made mention and how bad some of the set shots on goal were. The ball just floated, some helicopter punts, and some of our players were just you know putting the ball up and weren't exactly hitting targets. I know the focus has been on ball movement this year, but the um, I suppose the biggest thing, once we um, lost Spur before the start of the game with the late change... Um, compounded by the fact we lost Johnson. There was just a moment in the game where I just knew we were um, really struggling when the last two guys in defence were Clancy Pearce and I think Taberner, who had um, been put back down there. And you just looked at the two competing for a ball that just fell in the hands of a Richmond player and you just sort of looked at them out of position and looked at the Richmond player that picked it up. I couldn't remember who it was, but you just sort of say, yeah, this is um, 
all structures are out and it's just gone to gone to the floor, I think. So at least, you know, if we start to get some guys back and learn to play and, and have to deal with that, you know, if it does happen, it's not going to be perfect. You know, we haven't been forced by too many injuries this year. So this is a good wake-up call, a reminder. And I think even just seeing how relaxed Ross was in the post-match press conference, that he's kind of almost glad, you know, it's a loss we needed to have and wake-up call and it's, you know, forced us to do a couple of things and rethink and, and shape ourselves up for next week. Yeah, and the other interesting point was that when we tried to, it seemed like the game was quite dewy, like the ball was quite dewy, Seppo, and it seemed like the boys were half playing the style we played against Adelaide last week where it was just make grand at all cost against playing wet, dry weather football. And Richmond obviously adjusted to that conditions much, much better and were just playing normal football where we just seemed to be, like even guys who are, been uncharacteristic this year, like in Lockie Neal, who's been very good with his disposal efficiency, was just, they were just sort of tending to bomb it and just doing high sort of drop punts and just falling right into Richmond's hand. And Richmond were playing that loose guy across half back there, and we were not getting much depth on our kicking, and they were just able to run it out of half back way too easily all night. So it would definitely be something that Ross Lyon would be looking at for sure in the review this week. Yeah, I think this is probably one game, even just looking at how even Richmond players, I think Dustin Martin was the only one that stood out for me as having a really good game. He got a lot of the ball and pushed it forward for them. You know, this is probably a game where Fife probably won't get any Brownlow votes for the first time this year, you know, 10 games in. And um, he had a good game, but probably not by his standards. And however, his goal and mark of the week nominations were fantastic. And it's sort of good to see that these you know, willing on the team and, and showing some leadership and, and trying to drag everyone up to his level, bring them along for the ride, so it's good. Yeah, what do you think of... I mean, it's been two weeks in a row now where opposition sides have gone head-to-head with Fife rather than using a traditional tagger. We saw last week where Dangerfield... Or two weeks ago with Dangerfield going head-to-head and obviously there was a lot of talk about that. And last week they sort of rolled the dice with Martin on Fife for most of the night and Martin obviously had a good game as well with 34 touches five tackles and one goal one. Do you think it's something that Freeman will have to consider going forward in their midfield mix, how they utilise that? Are they going to be happy for Fife just to continue rolling off his man? if, Or are they going to have to sort of change the way they sort of set up a little bit there to make sure that they're op- the best off position midfielder doesn't get a hold of us as well? Well, I suppose when you look at it, Fife was probably down 26 touches is probably low for him this year. Still picked up 20 contested possessions, so they didn't let him out too much. Um, and I suppose Richmond didn't win the contested possession too much compared to our midfielders. I know Lockie Neal was right up there again, but we probably just butchered the ball a bit and they said, all right, let them win it. But I think even at some stage, you know, Sandland's rocked up some record hitouts to um, advantage. They were almost conceding that and Marich wasn't even competing at some stages against Sandlands and almost ready to just put a tackle on wherever the ball's gone rather than actually put any pressure on. So, They've certainly um, taken a different approach and maybe if we could have been a bit smarter by pushing it out or Sandlands really mixing it up and not just do the straight Sandlands to Fife, but you know, it seemed to work for us and it's worked for every game so far. But maybe sides are just trying to find different ways, knowing that their Ruckman's not going to win the tap and just try and work out maybe you know the next passage of play after that hit. Where's the ball going to go? What are our set routines? And just review the tapes and try and beat us because we're, they know we're going to win it. Yeah, that, that's a really good call, Seb, on those stoppages and how Fremantle set up. And it's obvious you can see that we tend to do better around the ground where 
the ruckman has to engage, mm. and or even when there's the third man up. But when in that centre square, you're right. Like last week, a number of times Marich didn't go full on and was just giving them that extra tackle, um, tackling play and holding us up in there and resetting. So it's definitely something that the stoppages uh, coaches at Fremantle will definitely be working on in the next next few weeks, um, particularly prior to the bye. Um, and you know, the reality was last week, so we just had too many guys who were down and not in good form. I mean. How many times would you have seen guys like, you know, I know there was talk this week, you know, on the news of Basil saying, that, you know, Frio supporters were jeering Pavlich. And I must admit, I was where I sat, I didn't hear it. But, I mean, I think they sort of certainly cheered when he took a mark. But he dropped a couple of sitters that he wouldn't normally get. And just some of our other guys just didn't tend to uh, play with the same sort of zeal, I suppose, or uh, effort that they have in the first uh nine games of the season, or probably eight games of the season. You know, we've had a couple of little ones where we've got through. They obviously tried to throw Maine back for a little while, and that didn't work. Either Seppo and Tabiner went back in the last quarter. And although he was in good position, he just tended to struggle taking those marks, um, particularly when the ball was a bit dewy there. Yeah, it's been a bit tough for the taller guys, and obviously we'll look at the changes um, coming up. But I think um, it was a bit hard on Tabiner and, and Maine to probably have a bit of a structural shift around when... You know, they've been sort of working well with Pavlich up forward, yet the ball exactly wasn't coming to those. And you know, we kicked our goals from other methods this time. You know, Ballas got up there, Walters got three, and Barlow and Fife get on in the action as well. So it didn't come from our usual targets, but it's just um, probably something we've got to look at to get all of our forwards firing at the same time because it's usually just one or a midfielder popping up every week. Yeah, and, I've you know, there's been a lot of talk about the defenders, key position defenders, particularly early on the year for West Coast when McKenzie and um, Brown went down, but Fremantle are probably even in a more dire situation at the moment with uh, their, their three, sort of three of their first choice with Dawson, Silvani and also Johnson out. So it's sort of acid. I mean, unfortunately, not only will it be tough for those guys coming in, like Alex Pierce has only played a couple of games, but we're also probably going to be struggling to give McFarlane any sort of rest anytime soon unless we can get some of those guys back on the... Pitch, it was good to sort of see Dawson training this week, even with a glove on, but, you know, he's still going to probably be a number of weeks away before we can consider him for selection. Yeah, it's good for at least him that he can get um, some fitness in because he's obviously had that groin. It allows him to wait for his uh, thumb or finger to repair and um, get through it because it's certainly, you know, losing Johnson, they're key stocks, at least we've exposed Pierce so far, but, you know, in this game it just shows how crucial our back line can be and, We've shown in the past, in our grand final year, we went without Sandy and Pav for periods of time, but we've never really been tested with some key backs out like the Eagles have had to cope with for a bit. So it's going to be interesting just coming over the next few weeks how we uh, manage our backmans and how well we expose some players coming up. Yeah, and it was interesting even the in the game on Friday night, I think with their first eight entries, they had a scoring shot, which is very unlike Fremantle and the you know, the fact of the matter is if you get guys like Tyson Vickery kicking three goals on you, you know you're not having a good night down there, mm. um, considering how inconsistent he's been over the years. So, But I think it's what, you know, every team has a bit of a blip. Um, even Hawthorne, like, lost to GWS. That's, you know, that sort of thing as well. They've had lost two or three games. So I don't think you can throw the baby out with the bathwater after one poor performance. And, it'll, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they back, back, back up this week. And you could... It's probably a good thing, I think, for Fremantle playing a day game at the Gold Coast rather than playing another night game where it'd be super dewy and you know wet, sort of tough, slippery conditions after the last two weeks. I think Fremantle 
I know there's a bit of rain projected, but I think the conditions will certainly suit them better than being a night game up there. Yep, certainly. All right. Obviously, also the big news today, Seppo, coming out of the AFL Tribunal was the decision or judgment on Ryan Crowley, who's been given a 12-month back-ended sentence, and he will be available come September 24th in the if Fremantle decide to use him. Uh, that falls on the second week of uh, it was the prelim final week, I think, and the good news is he can actually start training again a month prior, which would be the equivalent of when he... um. I think actually took it. Yeah, I think been tested for it. So at least it you know gets him back in. If he's deciding he wants to go on next year, at least show the club that he's willing and, and wants to put in and his body's right to go around again. That's at least something for him. It's obviously up to the club if they choose to keep him on at the end of the year, but at least it's it's not all um you know, he, he can sort of at least do something to get back on him terms because it's it'll be a shame to see him go and retire or be forced to go off. It was longer than a year, so I'm sort of glad the decision sort of seems right for 12 months, and it's going to be interesting um, towards the end of the year how we're actually shaped and, and how well we can actually go with him, because as they sort of mentioned on the news that um, Ryan, um, is it Baker that came in for the Saints for the grand final after missing 10 weeks, so it's one thing that Ross has done before in the past, and this is something he might do again for Crowley if he likes him that much. I, I, I'd, I think it'll be a huge stretch to see him playing any footy this year, to be honest, Seppo. It's a difference playing, you know, with, you know, like even Baker at least had 15 or 10 games of, you know, footy through the season. But having someone come in that fresh, and particularly when our style hasn't dictated we've played that way all year, you'd have to think we'd have some inju- have to have some pretty serious injuries come. And, I mean, let's be honest, there's a fair way before we even get to that point. But if we did get to the prelim you'd have to think it would be a big stretch for him to be brought in straight away. Mm. Uh, Especially without... He'd have to displace someone on the side and a big lot of guys that have been performing for Peel all year that would be pretty jipped to have someone like that come in and just take a spot that haven't had runs on the board, even though he's had pretty stellar career so far up until this point. But it's um, I suppose he has to uh, serve a bit of time as well to warrant a, a selection. He's not an automatic selection like Fife and... Pavar these days, so yeah, it's it's certainly going to make it hard. But at least you know it's a um, it, it is some type of a chance, or at least him being available to be amongst it. I think I think to be honest, even if even if it was someone like you know, Fife's probably maybe the one player. But I really think any player who hasn't played all year to come into a prelim final without having any football behind you is just a a massive massive risk, and you'd have to really be struggling for numbers, I think, to be able to consider it. I think the biggest question, bigger question will be, Seppo, is what Fremantle decide to do at the end of this year. I mean, it's been noted that Crowley has had back problems, and which is part of the reason why he took this painkiller in the first place. He's over 30 years old, and if you generally have back problems, it tends to end up with hamstring injuries as well. And no one will question Crowley's commitment to the club or what he's produced in his time at the club. But do you really, can you honestly see him getting another contract for next year, even if it's only on a one-year deal? Yeah, I suppose it's going to be hard when you look at it. And uh, I suppose looking at some lighter news right now with the um, three important re-signings we've just done, um, we'll touch on that later, but it means there's a, a shortening list now left of guys that have uh, out of contract at the end of the year. And obviously Sylvia's gone already from the list and um, not too sure about, um, the rest of them, but Crowley are in that 
group of um, other players coming out of contract at the end of the year. So certainly if it looks like some... He's getting older, like you said, he's on the wrong side of uh, 30. He's uh, not underneath it. He's over it now. So um, it's going to be interesting come review time at the end of the year, especially how they consider they're going to go and what the shape of the side is next year. Yeah, I mean, I think that probably for most Fremantle supporters, the three sign, you know, re-signings were pretty uh, pretty good to hear. And I was a bit surprised that Griffin got two years, but I can understand why that was the case, depending upon if we have injuries and that sort of thing. But the three key re-signings for us, I think, are the ones that probably haven't happened yet in terms of in terms of the future for the club with Crozier, Sheridan and Zach Clark, I think is the other one. Is that correct, Seppo? Yeah. yeah. When um, you look at the um, list of players coming out at the end of contract at the end of two, 2015, you've got Pavlich, McFarlane. Um, obviously, probably McFarlane would be retiring at the end of the year with Pavlich considering going around again, depending on what happens. You've got Duffield, um, possibly another one that's probably high up the list. He is getting older, though. Um, you've got Morabito there that could be just see how he's going health-wise. Um, Duffy, Crowley, um, once again, same boat. Um, then you get to the likes of Sheridan, Clark, Crozier, Tabner, Apness, Gray and Alex Pierce, all sort of a younger, that's sort of our future right there amongst a lot of those players. So um, there's probably a lot more important contracts to be sized up then and, and locked away. And we'll probably end up probably getting to the end of the year with the guys like Crowley, Duffy, Morabito, Duffield, McFarlane and Pavlich all left out of contract and just see how we go. I mean, you have to. I mean, you have to feel for Mora, but you you don't have to think if anything they'd have to, if they were going to keep him on the they'd have to put him on the rookie list. You'd have to think mm. surely if that was the case. I mean, it's just a tragedy, you know, for him and for the club. But in this sort of day and age, you'd have to think he the best the club would be able to do is put him on the rookie list. And it, and I mean, they're also going to have to make that decision on Craig Muller as well. But yeah, the what did you think of the other signings through the week? Obviously, Seppo, we just talked about Griffin getting the two years. And, and obviously, Sandilands and DeBoer getting one each, both put into the end of 2016, which is good. It's not too much more, obviously. if You wouldn't expect Sandilands to go around for another two years, but I know Ross has already talked about how well um, Sandilands is going and, and he could probably play and, until forever, and he's almost got that height advantage. You know, he's not going to get shorter. Um so and if he can be managed, play well, you know, this this is a week he's actually travelling with his team um, to play. And if he's managed well, he can probably go for most of this year and most of next year well, which is pretty good. Um, DeBoer's an interesting one. I obviously see him being important, you know, leader of the club and a senior bloke that's sort of sits at that right age bracket still. He's, he's not really old, um, like some of the other guys just mentioned before that are coming out of contract. So at least it keeps someone like him and his toughness around for another couple of Years, all of this year and next. So um, yeah. at least it's not too much more. I think if DeBoer was talked about 2017-18, um, it's probably stretching a bit too far, but it's good to see he's, he's out there to 2016. Yeah, I think uh, DeBoer's one of those players a little bit, I don't know if you've been following the NBA final, so he's a little bit like Della Vadova in yeah. that he's an awesome role player. And I mean, and fair credit to Della, he's been awesome in the finals, but... He's one of those guys you love to have on your squad. You know when he goes out, he's going to give 110%. It leaves nothing on the on the field. His preparation's always good. Ideally, he would love to play more, but you know he's not going to be kicking up a stink in the background if he's not playing. And he's you need those 20, 27, 28, 29 players, and he certainly fits in that mould. 
I mean, you wouldn't want him to lead your midfield, but he's certainly handy to have in the squad if something does happen. And you know you're not going to die wondering when his performance comes when he gets out there. The, who do you think will be the... Uh, like we've talked about, obviously, with Crowley maybe not coming back, or there's a possibility, depending on what happens there. And McFarlane would be unlikely to go on, you would think. So, and depending on what happens with Morris. So they've got to get rid of three players off the list out of there. You have to think they'd be signing up Alex Pierce as soon as possible. Um, is there any one of those other players that are on there um, that you consider might be um, in a bit of trouble, Seppo? Maybe. Oh, maybe Duffy. I don't know if they're going to consider um, if he's you know looking like a long-term prospect or if other players. You know, when you look at the likes of um, Weller and um, some of the others, um, depending if. Yeah, the guys come on. Duffy's sort of been on the list a bit now. Um, you think they'll be keeping Duffield and signing him on again. Um, but you just, you, you wonder if one of those Victorian guys uh, uh, be looking at a bit of trade bait or a return home for opportunities elsewhere. Um, you think they'd have to persist with guys like Gray that have shown quite a bit. Um, Apness, unless injuries are really debilitating, you'd think he'd go around again. And it would be. It's shame to lose someone like Clark, especially with our um, ruck stocks, uh, something we pride ourselves on and having to use. You know, even just with um, um, some of the guys that have gone over for the Gold Coast game, it's it shows that you need a couple on there, and some sides do struggle without them. But um, yeah, you'd think I think this is going to be a shallow draft this year, and you think they'd just do the minimal changes and get three or four off the list, or moving around to your rookie list, like you said, because you probably need to allow for. Someone like Moller maybe to come onto the main list after spending um, three years on the rookie list, whether he's starting to improve and it's time to put him on the main list as well. So it'd be interesting to see if they do anything with guys that are a bit further out that still have a couple of years on their contract to go if they're looking at um, some of those guys to, to trade off and move around as well. Yeah, I think Clark's probably the most crucial out of all the reasons. You know, I mean, Tabiner and Pierce, I think those three, just having those key players and... You know, I know there's a lot of people on the forum who aren't huge fans of Clark, but at the same time, he's only less than a year difference in you know what many consider to be the best young ruckman in the game in Natanui, and he's shown he can take marks and around the ground. His consistency probably still isn't as much as you'd like, but with the exception of most, most young ruckmen do take a lot, a lot of time to develop, and they really don't hit their consistency until they're 27, 28 years of age, and Look at all the top ruckmen in the league, Sam Jacobs, Goldstein, Sandlands. They're all late 20s, early 30s. It takes a long time to develop those guys. And we've put all the hard work into Clark now, and I just think it would be an absolute travesty if we didn't keep him. And I, he's always, I think he's certainly going to be leading the ruck for us in the, as soon as Sandlands uh, decides to hang up the boots. Yeah, he certainly had some good games at the start of this year. I think his last two's um, sort of just dropped a bit off, but he is definitely important because I think the um, Sandlands-Clark combo is probably be the best two rucks running around at the moment. And certainly Sandlands has beaten everyone that's come across him, um, but Clark really helps him out with that role. And most people don't realise as well that Clark's, I think, number 11 in the league, Seppo, uh, for contested marks. And that's as hard as you get in um, AFL footy these days. And you just don't get those players to grow on trees. So, mm. you know, as we've seen ourselves trying to get those key position players. But I think the other key ones, as you said, Atnes has only had two years. Being a first-round pick, you've got to keep him on the list to see how he develops. And hopefully you'll see Tabner continue his uh, development. I think he's, you know, he's 
getting better and better. You'd like to see him clunk a few more of those marks. He gets in the right position, but just tends to drop a couple more than he should. Mm. But I think that's just going to come with a bit more strength in the gym for another off-season as well and development because he certainly um, has elite endurance and knows where to run it most of the time, which is, you know, and that's why if you look at him, particularly in the first quarter, he tends to play his best foot in that first quarter. Mm. All right. Any other uh, points you want to bring up on the contract news before we move on to the Waffle Watch this week, Seppo? No, let's kick along to see how Peel went. Yeah, Peel uh, came in with a really close game on the weekend playing against uh, West Perth and it ended up just being a four-point game. And by all accounts, he uh, very, very good game of football. And Fremantle, after, or the Peel side after the previous week where they looked very, very ordinary against Claremont, at least bounced back this week, going down 17 goals, 9-1-11 to 17-5-107. And a number of the Peel players all had pretty strong games, which is good to see. Blakely, in particular, bounced back after a uh, poor performance last week, Seppo, by his standards with uh, 34 touches. The interesting thing, I think, for me out of this game, for the bits that, I mean, I did go down and see a little bit of it, I didn't get to see the lot, was the fact that uh, after a pretty deplorable first half in or playing in defence for the Sean Hurley got moved up forward and looked a completely sort of different player, and he certainly he looked his more first goal. So that was uh, fantastic to see the uh, young Irishman, as Ox as they call him. He's um, managed to snag one, and I did see the uh, the video of it, and it's um, he's looking pretty good the way he's moving around, and he does have a funny kicking style, the Irishman. But it's um, yeah, good to see that he um, at least found a bit of form when he's um, gone forward and struggling down back. He definitely looks more natural as a forward, and. I think most people would argue, you know, probably most people who saw the game would agree that his mistakes in the first um, half probably cost Peel at least three goals, which in when you know in a four-point game does make a bit of a difference. Mm. And one of them was probably even worse than Duffield's kick in um, the other on Friday night. So it gives you a bit of an indication. But at least he was starting to show some good, you know, good signs up forward, he, and he definitely maybe with the garlic football tends to lead to the ball better, but. He showed some good signs there and, uh, you know, a couple of people on the outer there, were, you know, even a little uh, murmuring of, uh, you know, a bit of a Clive, you know, sort of uh, standout. So just looked a little bit uh, bit out there, a bit different, a bit ungangly, but uh, just showed a bit. And If it could be the quarter of the man that Clive was, I think we got a winner. Yeah, <laughs> so hopefully he'll, uh, you know, be able to uh, move on. Mzungu once again had a pretty solid performance and DeBoer, as we talked about before, went out and, Showed he wanted to get back in with 28 possessions and 14 tackles. And Hanneth also came in and, uh, for a good performance with 35 hitouts and 18 possessions. So, and that he's obviously been rewarded with a call up this week in the, for the uh, Gold Coast game as well. Mm. So, moving, uh, most of the and most of the players, you know, tended to play reasonably well. Gray once again was pretty um, tough down back and showing. That sort of sign. You'd love to see him just use that ball a little bit better when he comes out, but he's definitely a uh, shows desperation as that small back. And the other interesting news this week, obviously, Sapo was uh, the fact that Tanner Smith got a call up with Morabito being placed on the long term injury list. Yeah, I think um, that's obviously probably just a bit of a reward and, and maybe caught upon as we're um, testing our key stocks down back because he got upgraded, but he's not on the flight and not named as an emergency for. The Gold Coast game, but it probably says that he's close, and we may look at using him over the next couple of weeks. And we've got the bye the week up, but it probably means something for him. I don't know if there's any contract 
claws or trigger or something for him, but it's at least something it's good to see that um, we do have that extra. It's not just Alex Pierce that's performing as a, a key back for us down at the waffle level. Yeah, uh, to, be, to be honest with you, Sepo, I think, I mean, they've obviously had to elevate Smith because we've got no one else down back, but I really don't think his form at the Peel level, based on the games I've seen, would uh, would justify a position in the squad. I mean, obviously, if we touch wood, don't get any more injuries, but uh, his form at Peel certainly probably wouldn't stand out enough to be knocking the door down for a call Not up. as much as Alex Pierce has. Oh, definitely not. Pierce is, a, I think, a fair way ahead of where Smith is. I mean, Smith certainly gives you an effort, but he, I mean, I haven't seen every Peel game, so I can't uh, base it on everything. And obviously, some of our guys like Purple Rain on the uh, forums go down and watch every week and write excellent reports, so he'll probably be able to definitely give us a bit more of an indication. But based on the ones I've seen, I would thought that it would be definitely a struggle for um, him to be able to get there. So, All right, moving on to this week's game. Big uh, 100th game for... Uh, Milestone game this week, Seppo, with uh, Mickey Barlow after you know probably missing out three or four times, having the horrid break a broken leg with Reese Palmer, um, getting up for his hundredth game this week. So fantastic for him! It's funny to think that he's um, up to his hundredth game, yet he missed a, pretty much a full year with um, that break in the leg. And it's I just remember his fiftieth game down in Tassie a couple of years ago, and it's rocked around to his hundredth already. It's um, fantastic to see that he's got there, and especially what he's had to overcome and it's amazing just having a look back at all the um, little highlights and the montages of his 2010 year and how good he was. It's just great to see that, um, you know, he's still playing really well. He's probably one of all, our most passionate players when you you look at him grabbing his jumper after that goal in that Geelong, Geelong game. I think we narrowly lost, um, but he was, um, he's one that really shows what it's like to be um, playing for the Purple Jumper and I'm glad he's playing his 100th and... Yeah, unfortunately, I can't be up there to watch it, but it's um, yeah, it's going to be a cracker for him. Yeah, I mean, you can't. I mean, anyone who sort of follows him, even on social media or Twitter, or uh, you know, anyone who speaks to him, he just comes across as a fantastic bloke and loves Frio, and probably you know, for most people, one of their favourite players in the club. And you know, I just think it's fantastic for him to be able to get to that hundredth, and just shows the perseverance does pay off. And despite being at a number of clubs for pre-season training. Uh, came across and it would have been very easy for him to, after getting a go at Fremantle and having that breakout season for to leave and uh, go back home. But it was just fantastic to see him stick by the club who gave him a chance. And I just hope he has a fantastic hundredth this week. A few big changes this week as well, Seppo. Uh, after a number of weeks of no ins and outs or just added to the emergencies, the uh, axe has come out this week. Yeah, it certainly has. We've um, obviously had some forced changes with. Uh... Johnson out with a hamstring and Maine's listed as an illness there. So I think he was absent from the track this week. So um, Clark's been admitted as well, as well as um, Duffield, probably for form with those two. And into the side, we bring um, Alex Pierce as a replacement for Johnson. And we've got Mzungu to add to the back line. Jack Hannah for a bit of height. And um, Lee Spur just dropping back into his spot in the back line. So a back six is a different makeup. Just looking at uh, Clancy Pierce, Luke McFarlane, Lee Spur in the back, and Ibo, Alex Pierce, and Mazungu playing uh, that sort of dropping in half back role is a different makeup to what we've um, probably seen for since the start of the year. But it's it's still solid and uh, big bodies down there, especially when you think of Pierce, Spur, and Mazungu. So 
Um, it's great to see that we've at least got some uh, experience back in there. We made some changes, but for all the right reasons. And uh, going over to the Gold Coast, they've uh, lost Stephen May to a groin, who has um, just come back in to their side after having a couple of weeks out. And um, Brooksby, their young tools, out with a calf. And Broughton, the ex-Ferrer players, out with an Achilles. And they've brought in Jack Leslie, Charlie Dixon, and uh, the older Nick Malcheski into their side. So... Couple of um, not big losses, but big ins for the Gold Coast there. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Frio line up. If um, I mean, if Hanneth is going to ever make a statement about playing at the next level or trying to cement a spot, this would have to be the week. Seppo, when you look at it, he's going up against. Obviously, Nichols is playing first ruck, but if you look at their uh, back line, you've got Henry Shade and Jack Leslie, who are not exactly household names. So. If he's ever going to have a chance to be showing something up forward, as well as in the ruck, this would have to be the week he would certainly uh, be able to come out and put a performance on. Yeah, and I forgot uh, to mention as well the uh, emergencies. We've got Griffin, Duffield and DeBoer, and I believe all three travelled. I think we've taken a full squad of 25 on the plane there. So you just think that Griff's probably there as a backup for Sandy if he doesn't come up, or you don't think they'd probably take Hanneth out of the side and put Griffin in if they've named him like they have. So... Um, Griffin's probably there cover for Sandy and, and Duffy and Matt are probably there just for um, cover as well if there's any illness that's spread you know if Maine's sick and there might be a couple others you just, hopefully there's nothing serious amongst all the others and guys are looking proppy on the track so um, it will be interesting to see if there is a late change from even how we're named but it, um, as you said with uh, a a chance to step up there's a lot of the other guys, and I tell you what, if we're playing in these positions, it's going to be quite interesting to see because someone rightly put it out on the board that they named Sheridan and Sutcliffe on opposing wings, which is probably something we haven't seen them named like that or even play like that, which I think both of them are almost their strengths, the way they uh, play that running football. And it'll be just interesting to see if Sutcliffe actually plays better footy if he's playing on the wing. And I know... Um, you know, train sort of works well between the 250 arcs. So it'll be interesting to see if they, they are named there and play there, um, which is quite interesting. Yeah, I I wouldn't take too much into the uh, guys who travel as well, Seppo. Like, I know Griffin, DeBoer and Duffield have both all travelled, but at the same time, Peel do play on Sunday this week. Mm, so, so there's a chance they might come back. So if they uh, they'd leave after the game, and being an early game at the Gold Coast, they'll be back Saturday night and they would play on Sunday. The interesting thing will be to see whether Clark plays on Sunday down at uh, Peel for Peel as well. So there's no real issue with them flying over as an emergency. Um, and if the conditions do end up being a little bit wet, they may look at someone like DeBoer being in those wet conditions as opposed to going too tall with someone like Hanneth, um, who may struggle in the wet. I think going with Pavlich, Tabina, Sandlin and Hanneth, if it is wet, uh, would probably end up being too tall and a bit too slow. So they may end up uh, moving one of those guys out uh, to give them a chance. And the boy, you'd have to think in those sort of conditions, would thrive. Um, but I do agree with you about this Sheridan and Sutcliffe. I mean, they're both good wingmen, and that's where they've played most of their best footy, particularly at the lower level. Uh, at waffle level, Sheridan has probably played his best footy on a wing, and Sutcliffe, although he's been back as a small defender, he has probably shown his best footy playing as a wingman for East Fremantle. And as you said, having Muzungu back there, it'll be interesting to see how they go with having the taller sort of players with Muzungu. I mean, Spur coming back is going to be a big inclusion for us because he does uh, play well on those small fours. I and mean, when you've got guys like Brandon Matera 
Miller and those sort of guys in there, it's, and even Harbrow, it's certainly going to um, help us a little bit in that regard. Mm. Any other sort of matchups that stand out for you this week? Um, obviously, Gold Coast have been in a world of pain this year with their injury list, which is uh, probably, if not the worst, at least equal to the worst in the uh, AFL at the moment. With I think last time I checked, there was about 16 players on their Seppo, so and they're not just uh, average players; they're all, you know, some really good quality players. When you look at the likes of Bennell, Ablett, Day, Jack Martin, O'Meara, Prestia, Swallow. I mean, Rory Thompson, there's some terrific players in that in that list. Mm. And even then, they've lost, um, yeah, say, May, Brooksby and, and Broughton out of their side. So it's definitely um, a weak inside and probably, like I said, probably one of the worst injury lists in the AFL at the moment. So, And we are sitting first and they're last. So you think if all things are, are right in the world, we're um, going to get a good result. But it's um, there's still a couple of names out there that... Um, can turn it on. I know Charlie Dixon's probably one of the um, best younger forwards out there at the moment, and and there's guys that seem to pop up here and there. Um, certainly, their midfield. You'd think we'd have to get the chocolates there, but it's what we do with the ball. I know they've been focusing on ball movement, but I'm not sure if they're going to play a match up on Fife or just let him go again, and they just try and do what Richmond did. They might be uh, studying how they beat us and try to employ the same tactics, but they probably don't have the cattle to do it there so um it will be quite interesting just to see how we um can dominate if we just sort of start feeding the ball out from the center and um and push it out um when we can do some get a big league and just hold it and go into the bye with um nice solid win yeah, it's interesting to see zach smith listed as an emergency not getting in because he's one of those ruckmen who i think does show a bit of potential but obviously they're keen to go with Nichols, and obviously they've got the ex-hawk in hallahan richard telly mckenzie listed in the center and then you've got some of those other guys. They're full forward and centre-half forward, as you said. Tom Lynch is a player I like from Gold Coast. And there's obviously been a bit of talk with Brisbane and both Fremantle looking at Charlie Dixon as a potential uh, recruit as well, Sepa. The sort of figures being bandied about as $3 million over five years, which is a lot of coin for someone who's only really kicked 55 goals, I think, in seven ga- or 70 goals in 55 games. So, mm. I mean, he does have potential. And the Gold Coast in the first few years were struggling. So it is hard to take a little bit out of that and... There's been obviously a bit of talk about his well-documented uh, suspension a couple of weeks ago, having a bit of a wine the night before a game. But it'll be interesting to see how he does play this week, particularly if they do line up McFarlane on him. Mm. How do you think we're going to be uh, using the sub? We've got um, probably a couple of candidates that have um, had it in the past, like Crozier and, and Subin out there, and even Tommy Sheridan might get it for... Another week, but it'd be interesting if they uh, keep Crozier hungry and, and bring him on, and hopefully not too too soon like we had to do last week. But um, he's one that certainly has an impact. I think when he came on, he, he played well in the first quarter and then sort of drifted out as a game as it went on. So you think if he um, listed on the bench, he'd be a perfect candidate to come on and do a, a good job or have an impact as a short burst and, and um, do a good job. Yeah, it'll... I'd... Crozier came on, as you said, did a little bit, and he probably wasn't expecting to come on so early. So it's definitely hard for those guys who play sub. You know, you're probably not expecting to come on till the last quarter. And even though you're always mentally you know, supposed to be switched on, more often than not you think, well, I've got another two quarters till I come on. And I thought he did show a little bit early. He probably just didn't do quite as much as you would have liked to see him when he got his chance. Mm. But you'd have to think, depending on the conditions... You can't bring Hannah in 
and play him as a sub. You either got to play him or you don't play him at all. Yep. So you, and Barlow, you're not going to play as a sub. So you have to think it's either going to be Crazy or Subin. Mm. I think you think if the conditions are wet, Subin plays. Yep. If he's dry, I think Crozier would play, and then Subin may get the vest. Yeah, that's probably the best way of looking at it. Yeah, I think Subin's too good a player to uh, in those conditions. If it is wet, he thrives in those conditions. So you definitely need to blame if if that's the case where. Crozier would probably tend to be a little bit better, I think, in the dry. And he, but he would be a natural replacement probably for Maine. He's, he's quite, he's a little bit taller than you think. I think he's listed about one eighty-seven, mm. uh, so and he can uh, lead forward and take a reasonable mark, and certainly make it tougher there for their uh, small defenders if you've got Crozier, Walters, and Ballantyne running around down there. As you said, though, Seppo, it's being first versus last. And Fremantle coming off a loss, you'd have to be very, very dis- or very confident Fremantle would be able to bounce back after last week and be very disappointing if we didn't get the chocolates this week, that's for sure. Yeah, certainly. It's, um, I'm, I'm not looking this as a loss and I, probably, I don't want to rock up next week if, there's, um, if we manage to lose this game. So I'll be uh, looking at a confident win. I'm sure the guys will be keen to uh, bounce back and, and be hungry for the four points, especially when we go into the bye. I'm not sure if... Gold Coast have got the buy the following round as well or the week after, but you'd think these guys would be going all out and earn a, a good rest, get the four points and go into the buy because that's the last thing you want to be doing is going into the buy on a loss and, and losing two in a row. So these are guys will be going all out for the win and, and putting in some hard yards. Absolutely. And I think both teams will definitely be trying to, you know, Gold Coast would just, I think, be happy to get through to the... Uh, Next week, and they do have the bye next week as well. So both teams will, and I think they have Carlton coming off the bye. So both teams, they would probably definitely consider that to be a winnable game. So both teams will definitely be trying to give it their all, but you'd have to think Fremantle, based on form that we've seen so far, will have too many quality players to uh, for the Gold Coast at this stage, and you'd comfortably think that we would end up winning by, I reckon, Eight to ten goals should be a reasonable uh, benchmark, you'd think, based on where the ladder sits and after uh, trying to bounce back from last week. Yeah, definitely. And and other teams, although we talked about it earlier in the year, Seppo, about you know percentage and getting the wins on the board, the reality is we're only one win ahead of Sydney now. Other teams are staying to come up. So you don't want that percentage to drop. I mean, we dropped back to 135, I think, percent now. So we want to make sure that we can uh, make sure that if it does come down a percentage that we also do uh, give ourselves every chance of keeping that top two spot, which is going to be absolutely crucial come the end of the year. Yeah, certainly. It's um, already changing quite a bit, the landscape of the uh, the top eight. And, you know, probably a couple of rounds after the bye, we'll get a clearer picture of where everyone sits. And I know we've got some good games to look forward to with um, a couple of home games in a row straight after the bye. So let's just hope we can uh, get the win here, do Barlow proud for his 100th and, you know, get good rest. And I think we're facing Brisbane and Collingwood. Or Collingwood, then Brisbane for the uh, two games after the bye. So it's um, going to be quite interesting. And let's hope we uh, get the job done this weekend. And I'm going to be uh, probably looking at a result of a hopefully uh, a 10-goal win. You think if it's dry conditions and we can put it on, it'll be 10-goal plus. Um, but if it's wet, it'll probably scale it back to a you know, 30, 40-point win, stock standard. Um, for us and um, 
Yeah, let's just hope everyone gets through unscathed because we don't want to start now picking up a lot more injuries. Yeah, and exactly right. We want to keep as many of our players on the park as we can going into the bye. Especially with guys like McFarlane. <laughs> oh, yeah, don't even say it. Touch, touch as much wood as you've got, yep. as you've got now, Seppo, because uh, he's just crucial for us come the next few weeks. And I do think the point you made earlier about the, uh, the fixture going to reveal a lot in the next month. The way the AFL, and credit to the AFL, they've certainly made it so that all teams have a big chance of being in the eight at the moment with a lot of the bottom teams playing each other first up. But I think that next five weeks is going to really sort of separate the wheat from the chaff. And I think there's going to be, in the past, they've sort of said only two teams have moved from the top eight. And that's something you can see the AFL have been trying to get away from. And by doing the fixture the way they have, it's certainly going to have a lot of teams moving in and out, I think, in the next four to five weeks about where the, they'll sort of stack up in the top eight. Yeah, I think I saw some stat mention even just about um, Frio's fixture was rated as the sixth hardest at the start of the year for the first games leading up to the bye. Until now, we've got the 17th hardest or almost one of the easiest runs. So I know we only play... Uh, I think Hawthorne down in Tassie, and we've got one other challenging game, probably Port at the end of the year at Adelaide Oval. But most of the other games on face value look um, quite winnable. So it'll be interesting to see how we go from uh, here on and whether other sides start to slide or um, increase and challenge. Yeah, and any team shows like even Richmond last week, if you've got your best players out there and they're playing well, you can win any sort of game, particularly if you switched on and... And I know that a lot of people sort of give Ross Lyon a bit of lip service saying uh, that, you know, he says if you switch off or, you know, we're, you know, we're not a great team and, you know, we, we sort of don't have, if, if our work rate's not there, we come back to the pack, pack pretty quickly and, and everyone said that that was the case and uh, it showed last week against Richmond. So I'm sure the boys will come out this week with a point to prove going into the bye with nothing, you know, leaving nothing on the table and... Let's look forward to a good win, mm. keeping that sort of one-game lead at the top of the table. And, you know, after last week with all the people sort of dooming and glooming, I think if at the start of the year, Seppo, you came out and said Fremantle with the draw they have will be 9-1, and one, you would have taken that every day of the week. No, oh, definitely. All right, any other points you want to bring up, mate, before we uh, finish up this week? Uh, another another fact that I... Uh... Wish everyone good luck that's actually going up there and uh, viewing the game at Metricon and uh, enjoy it. And we'll be uh, sitting at home in the nice Saturday lunchtime and uh, ready to enjoy the game. Yeah, it's certainly an unusual game for those people living in uh, WA having an early Saturday Saturday game. Uh, normally we sort of had a quite a few Saturday night games this year and we haven't even had too many of the dreaded Sunday afternoon slots But you know, for some people. But we'll look forward to getting that win. Thanks again for joining us this week, Seppo, and uh, we'll hopefully get to uh, have an uh, enjoyable uh, conversation next week after going in with the buy on going into a 10-1 uh, and one record. Perfect. No worries. All right. Thanks again for joining us, everyone, and look forward to the Gold Coast game this week and Freo getting back on track with a comfortable win and maintaining our spot at the top of the ladder. That's it for this week, and bye for now.